today on It's Time. What is the ministry right now that God has for you? I hear the calling, it's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So follow along as we join Pastor Mike. As we look at these words that were written by your Holy Spirit, we ask you now that we would be able to see your heart, your purpose in these things we're about to read. And so, God, we ask you now that you would illuminate these things, you would help us to remember these things, and we would apply them to our own lives in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through the book of Acts, looking at the Holy Spirit empowering the church. And the church, as we know, are people. So we know that God will empower us to be about his business. What then, as we look at others who have been inspired by the Holy Spirit, what eye marks do we see in their life that would indicate to us movement of God? In other words, if we look at others and how they were led by the Spirit, then as we're led by the Spirit, sort of, kind of, what we might expect to see as God guides and directs us. Well, when we come, when we left off last week, we we left off where, as it tells us in verse 15, that Silas and Timothy were going to join Paul. Uh, Paul had already arrived in Athens. And so this is where we're going to pick up the story tonight. Verse 16. And so while Paul waited for them, again, Timothy and Silas, um, he sat around and did nothing. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred or provoked or challenged within him, is the word, when he saw the city was given over to idols. Okay, here's a guy, spirit-filled, spent part of his life persecuting the church. Jesus changes his life. He has a close encounter of the real kind. And we find he goes to Damascus blind. We remember he was prayed over. He received the Holy Spirit. Something like scales fell off his eyes. And we know now God is using Saul, now named Paul, in a great dramatic way, you might say, to evangelize the known world. Now, looking at this, what made Paul, you might say, what he was? Well, we know that before he was a murderer, he went around holding the coats for those that were killing Christians, delivering both women and men to uh, be persecuted. We now find him being stirred in his spirit when he sees something. Now, friends, I believe that, again, as we would look at how God works In our spirit with his, there's a steering that God does when you see things that are not right. Now, 
A lot of people recognize things that are not in proper order. But I believe it's a person that has been, you might say, touched by the Holy Spirit that is motivated to do something about what they see. Many people can find things that need to be done, but it's when we interject ourselves into that picture, I believe that is where the power of the Holy Spirit is then, you might say, demonstrated. And certainly, we will see that here. So he says that while he waited, he didn't just waste time. He began to do investigation. Now notice it says, as he waited... His spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city given over to idols. That tells me a couple of things. One, when he waited, he was on, you might say, a reconnaissance mission. He didn't waste time. He began to assimilate information concerning the city of Athens. Now, I do believe that oftentimes when we endeavor to reach out to people and communicate the gospel, I believe there is something called bridge building. I do believe that this is an important part of our Christianity. In other words, we just don't walk up, smack somebody in the face with a Bible, and say, hey dude, get saved. Oftentimes it will be over a relationship that we will build, or even if you casually meet somebody on the street and street witnessing, well, hi, how are you? What's going on in your life? Are are you where you thought you would be 10 years ago today? You begin to build, you might say, a relationship with people to communicate to them. I believe, again, if you have people that are unsaved or people that are in your immediate family, in the cults, for instance, it would do you well to maybe look to see a little bit about what they believe. Now, that's not to say uh, that we uh, don't need to know what the Word of God says. Certainly we do. And there are those that say, well, you don't need to know what other people think or believe. All you need to know is the Word of God. That is true, except one problem. You oftentimes need to know who you're communicating to. Remember Jesus when he saw the woman at the well. He said, give me a drink. She says, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? We have no dealings with one another. There was a prejudice there. Well, Jesus knew full well when he asked the woman this question, give me a drink, that she would respond in some way. And so I believe that, again, as we bridge, you might say, build in our desire to communicate the gospel, sometimes it's rather rapid. We can do that, again, street witnessing has that happen. On the other hand, sometimes it may be over a course of many years, such as family members, which oftentimes are the hardest people to sometimes reach out to to communicate the gospel. And so he waited. And while he waited for something else to happen, he became involved in something else. A lot of times when we wait, we think, well, this is just waste of time. I'll do something mindless. That wasn't the way Paul worked. And I don't believe that's the way the Holy Spirit works. And so what I'm saying is I believe that as we move in the Holy Spirit, we will always, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. I think we need to be the same. Now, when we pray and ask God to guide and direct our lives, realizing then many of the things that we're endeavoring to do are our Father's business. 
I believe that's what's really important. And then, of course, asking God, stop me if I'm in the wrong direction, God. In other words, maybe something that you need to go get, some place that you need to go see, you end up going over to somebody's place only to find somebody there that needs to hear about Jesus. And you think, well, how in the world did I get here today through all the events and the things of the day? That's how it happens. So while he waited, his heart was stirred because he saw something that wasn't right. Verse 17, and we find this word starts off, the verse starts off with the word therefore. And whenever you find the word therefore, it's a, it's a word that directly ties the previous verse to the new verse in the information already declared. Okay, so he says, therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers. So this is where he went. This was his tradition. He would go to the synagogue to see if there was anybody because they had a general understanding that there was a Messiah to come. And if you studied the Old Testament, you couldn't help but not catch that. And so this is why we'd go there. And notice also, and in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. Now, this tells me a couple of things. If you, Again, we like those detective shows, and they go and they try to find a piece of paint in the carpet that is traced to somebody else, and they finally find who done it. Okay? Well, here's some things interesting. Let's look. If you like to underline things in your Bible. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily. So this weight that you might say as he waited for his companions to join him wasn't that they were just an hour late. It appears here that they were very late, uh, maybe several days or more late. He didn't let their delay stop him from what God had called him to do. Now, sometimes we get frustrated when things don't operate on our schedule. I'm one of those people that find planning things is oftentimes very difficult because there's so many other ingredients that seem to contribute to a person's life each day. When we look at this, he did not let an event, his friends being late, stop him or get frustrated, but he moved on in what he could do right then. Now, if we look at any delay in our lives as an opportunity to do God's will, Friends, this may be, this may very well be, uh, again, I believe as we look at the Holy Spirit moving in the church here, this may very well be a great clue on how to make better use of our time. Because a lot of times we think that if somebody's late or traffic is tied up, that I'm just stymied, I can't do anything, oh, I hate this place, rah, 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 rah. Maybe God's just maybe allowed you to stop to pray for the people in the car that may be stalled in front of you, that's holding up the traffic, or maybe to offer some assistance. You see, there's a lot of opportunity, I think, sometimes that we miss because we're so focused on our overall plan that we stop and fail to see sometimes what's right in front of our face. What is the ministry right now that God has for you? Well, he tells us here, He reasoned in the synagogue. Come, let us reason together out of the book of Isaiah. This is, again, a very important part of our Christianity, that we need to have good, solid answers for people's questions. Well, I believe it because that's what I believe, and that settles it. Well, why do you believe that? Well, I don't know, because the church I go to, that's what they told me. (laughs) 
That isn't going to win an argument, friends. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. And so, thank God you're here tonight. You're listening tonight to have a better, sharper edge. As we, the Bible says, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So I believe that's really important part of our Christianity. He reasoned with them in the synagogue and in the marketplace. I like that. It wasn't just that it was a church setting, you might say, but it was also a public setting as well. In other words, he would share with people who knew something about God, you might say Yahweh, or as well as people that were quite paganistic in their thoughts. Notice he says, in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. Happen to be there. Hmm, just happen to be there. Wow, do you think God has a hand in who happens to be there? I do. I think there's more that goes on in the hand of God than we give him credit for, that things are not by happenstance, but by divine providence. As we will read on here in just a little bit, you're going to begin to see divine providence take over, how God has a way of getting people where they're supposed to be so they can hear about his grace and love. So who happened to be there? Well, verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Another said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. (laughs) So we find here in the marketplace a crowd gathering. And people of different ideas of the purpose of life begin to gather as well. Now, the Epicureans in the, in the Stoic, they're there. They show up. Now, everybody tonight has some idea of what life is about. You're not just like your dog that just goes from meal to the next meal and maybe can do a trick or two to impress you with their ability to roll over. We actually have some kind of a creed, you might say, a directive, a purpose that we live for. Every person listening tonight has this in their life. The question ultimately then is, what is your purpose of life? Now, the Epicureans show up, the Stoics show up. These guys are still around today. They didn't die, you know. Epicurean philosophy is that life is for pleasure. Epicurean delight. And and life is for pleasure. But see, there's problems in any, you might say, philosophy of life outside of Christianity. Because here's why. Epicurean delight. Hmm. I, 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 I surround myself in pleasure. And, and and so the problem, though, with Epicurean mentality, which actually borders a hedonism type of idea, is that life is for pleasure, but if you stay in a pleasure too long, you'll become bored with it. 
I know we talked about that last week when, when, you know, when you were riding a bicycle and then somebody turned you onto a Honda 50 and you rode the Honda 50 and then somebody had a, uh, you know, a Yamaha twin and you rode that and that was really cool. And then you got into, you know, maybe a, a four cylinder 500 and then somebody turned you onto a Harley and then pretty soon, and, 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 and we find that we're not satisfied with the, with the Honda 50 anymore because Though when it was first introduced in your life, it was the greatest, neatest, fastest thing ever to exist. But then you became born with it, so you wanted something else. Now, you begin to see this. Epicurean philosophy says, chase your pleasures. If it feels good, do it. That's the mentality. The problem with it If you do those things and you do it long enough, you will become bored with it. See, this is why people say, well, hey, man, I got into pot, you know. Well, you won't stay in the pot very long because you'll go on to something else because it doesn't satisfy because these things outside of God will never satisfy a person's soul. And so Epicurean philosophy was that life is for pleasure. That's, that was their thinking. That was their mentality. That's how they live their lives. And so... Uh, then the Stoics come along. There's another group of people. Keep that stiff upper lip. That's Stoic philosophy. You hear it? Um, be cool. That, that's Stoic philosophy. We talked about it last week. It, you, everything is predetermined. All you can do as a lowly member on the planet Earth is fit into somehow these predetermined things. And so... What it is, is like a predestination idea that envelops because everything, and this is what's really strange, and this is where the jump comes, because everything is already pre-planned, and there's nothing you can do about it. If you're going to get hit by a train, you're going to get hit by a train. There's nothing you can, the only thing you can change is how you feel about getting hit by the train, okay? But then because everything is part of you might say this predetermined thing, it's like atheism because, and atheism in that, not that there's not a God, but atheism in that, that everything is God. Everything is uh, predetermined. There's no getting out of this. And, and, and so um, you have to live by this idea that basically a little bit of saddest that come in. So the idea then is you have the Epicureans on one hand that life is for, for pleasure, party, don't, party on, and you have the other group that says be cool, keep a stiff upper lip because actually everything in life is predetermined. This is God. This is our reality. And so we're living in this. And so Paul comes along with a whole different way of life. Now, what's important is this. If you're not a Christian here tonight, or listening, you are living most likely in one of those two schools of philosophy for your life. Either life's a gas and I'm going to party on, or two, that man, I'm going to struggle through this thing. I know I'm not going to win, but I'm going to keep going. You have one of those two things. This is the group that Paul's talking to. Now, here's a couple things. First of all, Paul, when he waited for his friends, 
saw the city given over to idolatry, which tells me he was on a reconnaissance mission. He was sizing up the community. He was looking at what they were into, what their mindsets were, so he could better approach them. Now notice, it tells us here, that certain Epicurean Stoic philosophers encountered him and said, what does this babbler want to say? He did not let their initial criticism stop him from saying what he was going to say. And remember this, friends, there are going to be those people that will come along and say, now what's this Jesus thing you're into? <laughs> you know, they'll do that. You don't let that discourage you. You, you. you keep going because part of, I think, the difference between real Christianity and pseudo-intellectual religion is that when the tough comes down uh, and, and, and things get really hard, you're going to still find the Christian there. The Apostle Paul never ran. Well, maybe I should say he, it was not his heart to leave when things were tough. Uh, remember, again, the jail situation. When they came down, they beat him, uncondemned Roman. The magistrate says, you can go. He says, I'm not leaving. What do you mean you're not leaving? You're, you're free. You can go. The door's open. Get out of jail. You got that little card. Play Monopoly. Get out of jail free. Go. Well, he said, I ain't leaving. Well, why aren't you leaving? I'm a Roman citizen. I was beaten, uncondemned. I didn't have a trial. If they want us to go, you send them down here and we'll talk to them. When they heard they were Romans, they were freaked out. Now, maybe they had just said they were Romans because, remember the other guy said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our cities. Well, if they're Jews, they're probably not Roman citizens. So yeah, beat them. Who cares? Then they find out because they won't leave the jail, which if you were really a Jew and somebody says, you got to get out of jail car free here, go. And he goes, I ain't leaving. (laughs) It's not because the food was so good. It ain't because the hotel accommodations were so great. It's because there was an ethical thing that had been violated. He said, I'm a Roman citizen. You didn't do this right. It says the magistrates got scared. Because at this point, evidently, the reality of Paul being a Roman citizen set in. Hey, if this guy was really a Jew, he would have left. He's a Roman citizen. He's staying here. He's hot. The Bible says they came down and pleaded, pleaded with him, please go. You say, well, what's that? The next verse says Paul left the jail. Tells me they did wrong and Paul forgave them. And friends, that's part of what Christianity is. You see, I think they recognize that they had overstepped the bounds. I guarantee you the next time they go to beat somebody, they're going to really find out who they really were. And so Paul did a service not only for himself and for all of us as Christians as an example, but anybody that would ever stand in that marketplace in that court and be tried again for some or whatever crime it might be. It isn't just me. Look, I got out of jail. Look what I'm getting. It's that as real concern, I want to look and say, what, how can I be of a blessing to those that come after me or an example for those who observe me so that I'll be about my father's business? Now, Paul, as he examines the city, sees these different belief systems in place in, you might say, a magnitude proportion. It was a city filled with pantheism. They didn't worship one God. They worshiped all kinds of stuff. 
Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.